This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And this is Jared Murphy from City Limits. Ben, a lot of stories popping this week on the housing front. Some of the biggest ones, perhaps, uh, up in Albany with the state budget, something I've uh, dedicated myself to paying almost no attention to, but you, uh, you've been unable to escape it. So you yeah, you don't like the all-night uh, I don't. City. <laughs> so I've lost my, uh, my taste for it. But yeah, uh, what, what do we know and what do we not know? Well, it's sort of... Uh, to me, you know, maybe this is a lack of sleep talking, even though I wasn't up there. I was editing something we were writing about capturing the, you know, the state budget agreement that the governor outlined at about 8.30 last night while the, you know, budget bills hadn't even been printed yet or voted on. And, and you know, um, but it's frustrating and it's a little bit, I think, embarrassing for, it should be embarrassing for state lawmakers and the governor to approach things this way. It just doesn't have to happen this way. Um, but anyway, that being said, um, we know some broad strokes, and there's some highlight items like the minimum wage increase in paid family leave, but for the purposes of our discussion, which is focused on housing, um, it seems that the governor's proposed $20 billion housing plan, um, which we you know, might use some air quotes around plan, his, his $20 billion allotment for housing programs is being included. And that's uh, a five-year, $20 billion plan that the governor says details will be coming on in the coming weeks. He said that uh, when he proposed. <laughs> oh, yes, right, right, exactly. He said so that back in January. It's been a long few weeks. Yeah, that thank we you for yeah, clarifying on that. The governor outlined this $20 billion plan for $10 billion for affordable housing and another $10 billion to sort of tackle homelessness. And, of course, they go hand in hand, but that's how he sort of outlined it in his state of the state policy book in January. And the state policy book says word for word that details are expected in the coming weeks. And now we're well over two months past that time. Right. And I think, you know, when those details come out, the questions we ask will be similar to the ones we ask about state programs. You know, what are we talking about? Rental housing? Are we talking about home ownership? Is this new stuff? Is it preservation? What income groups? What AMIs? But in the case of the state, what's different is that, you know, we, we would, I guess, be curious how much of that housing is going to find its way downstate and how much will be for other urban and suburban centers. Right. Uh, that's a huge question. Uh, I think when the governor first outlined the plan and Mayor de Blasio was asked about it, he said, I don't, you know, I don't have any details just like nobody else has any details. But I would expect since New York City is such a big portion of the state population and the state budget and you know there is such there are such acute affordable housing needs and homelessness needs in the city that a, a good portion of that would be New York City based. Now of course that also raises the question though and people have asked is this just going to be the governor's own program or is he going to be funding city programs and it seems like the governor might want as you might expect from Governor Cuomo to take more ownership of the issue, not just send funding to Mayor de Blasio. Right. You know, one of the areas where the city and state have partnered in the past on housing is supportive housing, and that's been an area of concern for advocates. They've gotten big commitments from de Blasio. They've gotten, you know, smaller commitments from, from Cuomo, and I know they're looking for more detail on that. And you mentioned homelessness, and that's an issue where the mayor and the governor have clashed pretty publicly on homelessness, and we had an article this week looking at the homelessness numbers in New York. Not the street homelessness that tends to get a lot of attention, is very visible, but people in the city shelters, as we know, that number has gotten up to around 60,000. It's retreated somewhat, but still record highs. Trying to understand exactly what that number means and doesn't mean. Is it an indictment of Bill de Blasio, or is it something external? 
And what my reporter, Abigail Savage-Lou, found is that it's really a, it's a combination of a lot of different things. Um, first of all, it's not, there's not just one homeless population. There's families with children, there's adult families, there's single adults, and those numbers are moving in somewhat different directions. Families, uh, generally, that population is dropping somewhat. The others tend to, uh, are increasing uh, still. Um, and also the, the numbers that are there reflect not just demand, and that's still being fed by the affordability crisis, but also the fact that the Blasio administration is finding more people eligible for shelter than the Bloomberg people did. Mm -hmm. more, the, the, so the, the front door is wider open, and the door out, while the mayor has link in these programs that are meant to provide subsidies, you know, they have had some trouble getting landlords to take those up, and those programs are up and running, but I don't think they're at the scale that was intended. So, you know, that the number and what it means is a pretty complicated thing. Right, and I think the, um, you know, the city is going to be looking at this state plan to really see when the governor rolls it out, and we're going to try to take a look at this, you know, at Gotham Gazette next week is is what's really going to be in that plan? What are the what are state you know what are advocates, housing advocates, and lawmakers looking for in this plan? And the city is going to be looking to the ten billion dollars that the governor has outlined and said will be for homeless you know around homelessness. I think the city is going to be looking for increases in those voucher programs and funding towards some of those um, you know efforts and perhaps being able to then also increase what um, families are able to offer landlords and what the city is able to offer landlords. Right, and part of the city's difficulty this time around is because of decisions that uh, at the state and local level were made with the, the Advantage program under Mayor Bloomberg, where landlords you know, bought into it and it very suddenly was sort of pulled out from under them. And I think some of the resistance to taking on Link among landlords has been attributed to people sort of being once bitten, twice shy. Right. Um, back on the home front, East New York, the neighborhood we talk about more than any neighborhood <laughs> in New York, and rightfully so, uh, is is moving slowly toward uh, some sort of uh, uh, you know final clash or final decision on mm -hmm. the Euler process, uh, but but very slowly. Yeah, I mean, East New York is the first of the fifteen neighborhoods that the De Blasio administration plans to rezone with local input, of course, and approval from local council members and such. And you know, we don't have the full list of those fifteen, but we have about seven. And East New York is going to be precedent setting in, in many ways and that's part of the the big drama here right is what is that going to look like in east new york so that we can then take a look at other neighborhoods on the map and what it might mean there and that's also the reason that the main city council member involved rafael espinal is you know taking it extremely seriously and i think negotiating um with the city you know pretty uh, in a pretty tough fashion um, and at the same time, other council members are watching to see how it goes and community groups are saying we need to get commitments from the city in this rezoning really locked in. Um, it can't just be sort of general promises and general outlines. It really needs to be um, something that we can hold the city accountable for, whether it's school seats or park space or, you know, transportation infrastructure. Right. And all of that came up during the debate over mandatory inclusionary housing in the council, you know, in recent weeks. What can the city's investment, uh, what kind of commit is it, commitment is it willing to make? And also the, you know, ongoing question of what income groups will the housing serve? You know, MIH sets out certain levels, certain uh, set-asides, but the pressure in East New York is to go even lower. And the question is, you know, how much of that can the market do? What will the city be expected to do in subsidies? And I think the city has long expected that a lot of what gets built in East New York, especially in the first few years of the after the rezoning, 
is going to be affordable and, and probably is going to be heavily subsidized. That's not that's not new as far as I know. No, it's not. I think I think that's part of this equation though is is seeing those details and negotiating those details to a place where the local council member and others in the community feel like they're getting the best deal possible, the most commitment, the most resources. Um, you know, local job hiring and local job training are, you know, a key sticking point here. Um, the levels of affordability, as you you know, just outlined. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. There was just there was this flurry as the week ended. There's this flurry of stories in in different publications, and we're working on one ourselves. You know, about how the negotiations are going slowly, and there's only a month left. And you know, that all came because people at the city council are are you know decided, oh, this isn't really going as well as we had hoped, so we're going to start talking to the press about it. Right. You know, I mean, that's just how that's exactly what happened. You you could tell because we're we're talking with people, and then all of a sudden there's stories in four publications about like, oh, negotiations are breaking down a little, and you know, this right. is a negotiating tactic in itself. Right. It is nice that people <laughs> occasionally find us useful. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, another story coming out of the council this week is about uh, NYCHA, uh the chairwoman Shola Olatoya providing an update on the fiscal situation there. And it wasn't really a great story. A lot of the revenue lines that they thought were going to be improving because of new money or savings under next-gen NYCHA not coming to fruition. I mean, one example is that they had hoped this year to be earning money already on some of the infill sites, maybe to the tune of like 30 million bucks. It looks like maybe they'll clear half a million this year and, you know, Writing some employees off to other agencies, ground floor retail, all that stuff, apparently bringing in less money or being projected to bring in less money and some disappointment uh, from the council on that. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the kind of story ended this week with NYCHA has long been criticized, as we all know, for its maintenance and how difficult it is to get to pay, repairs done. One of the issues there is access to apartments when people are gone for the day. Can NYCHA get in to fix the stuff? So NYCHA announced a plan to offer repair services over a broader number of hours. It looked great, but this week the head of the uh, Teamsters Union that presents those workers said that uh, to require that is outside the contract and it might be dangerous because some of these public housing developments have crime problems. So NYCHA's woes, uh, you know, yeah. kind of continue. Yeah, I, I, you know, with that flex, the, the additional hours of flexibility, I mean, I was shocked and I haven't followed this closely for years like you have, but... You know, they basically said that NYCHA's repair hours have been restricted to, I think it was like 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and that's it. And that just was crazy to me. They think that that was the system that was in place through a contract. It seems totally strange to me. Um, I thought it seemed like good news that they were expanding that, and they weren't talking about, like, round-the-clock hours either. So I think, you know, that pushback from the union is worth exploring a little further, you know, in terms of questioning the you know, the dangerousness of it. You know, they're not talking about 24-hour round-the-clock repairs. But, of course, there are concerns because there's always concerns about safety at, you know, public housing sites and the lighting and all that sort of stuff. So looking ahead, uh, what do you have on the, the docket for, for next week? Well, looking back and looking ahead, we, we, we just published um, a new really deep-dive look at East Harlem. Um, we had done something on the East Harlem neighborhood plan that was developed by community stakeholders led by the Speaker of the City Council who represents that district. But now we just published something even further in depth that really looks at the community as it's on the verge of some significant change because it is slated for a rezoning. Um, so, you know, that's something that um, 
you know, I'm proud of the way we, we took a really good deep look at this community in East Harlem because it's also emblematic of a lot of other communities. They're, they're all different, of course, but, um, you know, looking at its poverty levels, its affordable housing crisis, um, but also that it's already gentrifying and that's well before this rezoning even comes into play. And then looking ahead, we're going to look at both we're going back to what we discussed at the beginning, we're going to be looking for more detail from the governor's housing plan, really trying to push his administration for, for some insights into when that's coming and what might be in it, and then talking to other people who might have ideas. Um, and, you know, we're going to follow uh, the East New York developments. As I said, you know, we're going to jump into the fray here as well as uh, many of our colleagues and looking at where negotiations are on that as the, as the clock is ticking. How about, how about you guys? Uh, well, the clock is, is soon to start or hasn't really started yet on the Bay Street rezoning in Staten Island, which is, as you mentioned, one of the seven neighborhoods we know about. We're going to be publishing a story that looks into what that appears to be so far, what some of the you know, local uh, stakeholders think about it. And we're also going to be looking into sort of the subsidy side, the deep subsidy side of the HPD housing program, which has been kind of in the background of a lot of these rezoning discussions that, you know, we can go lower and we will go lower and we're trying to figure out exactly how low they'll go and what they can afford to do. So that's another piece coming down the pipe. The Staten Island piece is fascinating to me. I mean, do you have any sense right now in terms of how receptive the initial sort of um, community outreach has been there? We, I really don't. Yeah. I don't know. No, we'll, we'll, we'll look to see. Yeah, that. that's going to be especially fascinating. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Staten Island often neglected because you have to ask a reporter to take a ferry to get there. But um, but yeah, it should be interesting. And, and much like the state budget, we will deliver it on time.